Managing your law practice can be challenging. Marketing, time management, attracting clients, and all the things besides the cases that you need to do that aren't billable. Welcome to this edition of the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. This is where you'll get the information you need from expert guests and host Christopher Anderson, here on Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the Unbillable Hour. I am your host, Christopher Anderson, and today's episode is, well, again, it's about business. Um, And now I know (laughs) that's what this show is about all the time. This is a show about the business of law. But what I wanted to talk to you about today is a little bit about business vision um, and how to see yourself as the owner or the CEO, uh, the visionary of the business, how to define why your business exists and how to hold yourself accountable to it. Quite honestly, we're going to just see where else this show goes because our guest is super talented, super knowledgeable, and knows a thing or two uh, about starting a successful business, as you'll find out. My guest is, in fact, David Notowitz. He's the founder of NCAVF. It's the National Center for Audio and Video Forensics. But before we get started, it's time to do a little business of our own. So I want to say thank you to the sponsors that make this show possible. Alert Communications. If any law firm is looking for call, intake, or retainer services available 24-7-365, just call 866-827-5568. Scorpion is the leading provider of marketing solutions for the legal industry. With nearly 20 years of experience serving attorneys, Scorpion can help you grow your practice. Learn more at scorpionlegal.com. Law Clerk, where attorneys go to hire freelance lawyers. Visit lawclerk.legal to learn how to increase your productivity and your profits by working with talented freelance lawyers. LawYaw provides end-to-end document automation for solo, small, and mid-sized practices. Save time and avoid mistakes with documents that you draft over and over again. Learn more at lawyaw.com, and that's L-A-W-Y-A-W.com. Today's episode of the Unbillable Hour is with David Notowitz. David is the founder of NCAVF. It's based in Los Angeles. He himself is an Emmy Award-winning producer and multifaceted video and audio forensic evidence expert. His specialties have included news, documentaries, commercial video production. Way back in 1986, he started Notowitz Productions and in 89 was hired to produce daily segments as a reporter for the Financial News Network. Now... Part of it's uh, CNBC. It was acquired by CNBC. Um, but he's done work for Fox, for Yahoo, for GM, for the Learning Channel, for Rhino Entertainment, Miller Beer, IBM, Disney, and a bunch more as uh, you know, in video production and corporate productions. And uh, since he's also worked as a forensic video expert witness on cases with the police, with detectives, with private investigators, insurance companies, public defenders, even criminal defense attorneys all over the country. And he is, in addition, working with private civil and criminal attorneys and large corporations in that role. In addition to assisting in high-profile criminal and civil cases, NCAVF is used to clarify audio and video with cases involving trip and fall, personal injury, vehicle accidents, family law disputes, assault, arson, robbery, and real estate issues. Um, In other words, uh, they really help a whole bunch of lawyers in a bunch of different practice areas, and in the end, help their clients to prove their cases. So David, that was... uh, Quite an introduction. Um, uh, you've got a huge, hugely impressive resume. But uh, what did I miss? What uh, What would you like the people to know about you that I didn't talk about? Well, first of all, Christopher, thank you so much. It's always fun to talk with someone about kind of behind the scenes on our business because I feel like I could 
teach people a lot about their business and help them grow theirs, just like I've grown mine. In terms of the services, one thing that you people might not notice is that we're we're working for all sides on different cases. Yep. So we're not only working for, let's say, the DA who's investigating or prosecuting a case, or we're not working just for the police, or we're not just working for a defense attorney. So we 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 have all these different places that we often work for, which okay. makes me really happy because it means that we just have to be truthful with our evidence. Yeah, yeah, and of course that I think you know in, in order for you to have a longevity, in order for you to have credibility, you've got you you always have to uh, toe that line. I'm sure. Yeah, sometimes there's I've worked with other experts. They only work for let's say defending right uh, one side of the certain constructions, you know, sites or something, just as defense. And it's, I think it makes them look unbelievable. Sure. Yeah. Because they always take a side. So we, we went through all these things you've done. You've been, you've been uh, in broadcast television. Uh, you've worked for major corporations directly. Um, you've, you've done all this, this work. And then you've been a forensic video expert. How long has it been since you founded and started NCAVF? Well, the first case we had was in 2001. Okay. It was a, a smaller case. A friend of mine, an attorney, asked me to help him out. And it was, I was kind of nervous, actually, quite <laughs> a bit nervous, you know, because I would have to testify possibly. And I was, I've never been testifying in court before. Um, it went really well. Then we had a second case with the same friend of mine in 2006. During all this time, I'm still doing all the other work that right. you described. Then in 2006, though, with that second case, it was very high profile. And it was really interesting and honestly made a lot of money doing it. It lasted a couple of years and the press was huge on the case. That's when I started realizing, wow, I could do this as a business and I should. Right. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, it kind of reminds me of the story of, you know, being, being really good at something, being a technician, like in Michael Gerber's E-Myth uh, Revisited. Uh, are you familiar with that book? I'm not. I'm okay. Not. Some of my listeners are, but anyway, just, uh, just where I think a lot of lawyers fall into this trap too, where, and I'm not calling it a trap for you, but it is a trap for a lot of lawyers where you're good at something. You make some money doing something. And for a lawyer, they, you know, the, 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 the cliche is then we hang out a shingle. You started a business. You, you mentioned like 2001, then 2006. When did you really start thinking of this as something to offer to others than this one client that you worked with and made, made these first uh, successful cases with? Yeah, so after 2006, the trial ended up uh, going to trial in 2007. At that point, after that verdict, I realized this is going to be a growing business. Video and audio surveillance evidence is going to be exploding. I could see devices starting to appear. Mm -hmm. The iPhone came out in 2007. Right. So I knew that like all this technology was moving towards recording video a lot more. And people in their hands would, have, would be witnesses with their video equipment or with their audio. So I thought, okay, this is going to be a growing thing. Now, to run a business, I didn't know what I was doing still. Even <laughs> after all these years of working in productions and all this, I, I was always doing it myself, quite often hands-on, doing the shooting, doing the editing, doing all these things. And I thought, wait a minute, after learning about this, I thought, I can't grow. What am I going to do here? And right. so I hired one person to like answer the phones. And it was very, I wasn't very smart about it, you know, but I just said, look, I'm not going to just answer the phones all the time. Let someone else at least answer the phones. It's a great place to start, by the way. 
yeah, yeah, it's like, it's a really obvious place to start. Um, why do I need to answer the phones all the time? I need to actually do the editing, I was saying. You know, like, I need to work on editing so someone else can answer the phone so I'm not distracted with my work. But I realized after reading and learning and, you know, talking to other, I had an, a friend who was a really successful business person. I asked him, how can I, what can I do here? Like, what right. am I doing wrong? Because I really didn't realize it. And well, what, what were the symptoms? Why did you think you were doing anything wrong? Because I was working my tushy off, mm -hmm. to say it nicely, and I wasn't making any more money. I was like, what's going on here? I can charge more per hour, which I wanted to do and I started to do. But how can I get these smaller jobs, little things that I don't really want to do? Can I get them to someone else somehow? Yeah. And how many, just, just to kind of jump forward, so that's... 14, 12, 13 years ago to today, how many employees are working full-time at NCABF? We have six full-time employees. Okay. And then do you use any uh, outside or part-time employees as well? It's very rare now as of the beginning of 2020 for me to have independent contractors is not as easy legally. So I made everyone part-time employees or employees, but we have six full-time employees. And then once in a while, I'll bring someone in but to help out a little bit, but mostly we're in-house right now. Excellent. And so from just you to six, what would you say was the big, were the biggest challenges you faced as you started to grow your company? The hardest thing for me is giving up my control mm -hmm. because I am such a perfectionist usually. Um, where I want to do everything exactly my way and exactly right. And that's how I had become successful, you know, in the other work that I had done. But I have to let go of some control. I can still oversee it, but I had to define the jobs that were involved, figure out what I can let go, like peel off from. So let me what ask you the tough question, because I think a lot of a lot of lawyers really resonate with what you're saying in, in their businesses. And you know, by the way, probably more so than you, lawyers who run their own businesses tend to also think as and by the way, lawyers who are listening, you know, but I'll say it again because it's been a while since I said it. Everything I'm saying about lawyers, I'm saying about myself because all of this was true for me as I started my law firm and built my law firms up um, and then started my businesses and built my businesses up. These are all true for me. But they think they're the best bookkeepers. They think they're the best paralegals. They think they're the best typists, uh, administrators, office managers, people managers, et cetera. Like it's, yeah. it's not just the technical work, but it is also the technical work. But so here's the tough question I wanted to ask you is in your business now with six employees, is every single aspect of the business run and done 100% to the way you'd like it done uh, as if you did it yourself? The answer is no, it's not yeah. done. And honestly, who's going to care about your company most? You are. Right. So who's going to be working to make your clients as happy as possible? Not the employees as much. You are. So there's no way you're going to ever get all your employees to do as well as you would do if you did the job yourself. It's just true. So to say, like, no one can do it as well as me, it's really true. But if you want to grow your business, you have to let go a little bit. Yeah. And what I, what I like to emphasize too, because I think it's important, is what you say, what you, if you want to grow your business, that's something that's good for you. But the truth is also, if you want to grow your business, that's something that's good for the people you help. Because if you can't grow your business, you are, you are basically telling a whole bunch of people out there that could benefit from your business that 
you're not there for them, that you can't help them. And and so growing your business is about that. So th- let me ask the corollary then. What have you held on to? What is David Notowitz doing in the business that you haven't let go of yet? One of the things I love doing and I've always loved doing since even in high school is writing. And I've grown in the area of marketing writing over the years. I did that in college for other businesses and I still love it today. I love writing the emails, the direct emails. I have 5,000 people on my mail list for emails. And I love creating the newsletter and updating people with my writing. So that's something I've focused on. Also, I do some article writing, which I really love as well. Excellent. Very cool. Um, All right. So what I want to do here is we're going to take a break um, and hear a word from our sponsors who make this show possible. And when we come back, David, I'm going to, we've kind of walked through the beginning and the now and what you've given up and what you have tried to hold on to. But what I want to talk to you is about your business plan and like how you documented or how you kind of structured how you were going to get from there to here and how well you followed it. But first, a word from our sponsors. No one cites routine drafting as the reason they chose to become a lawyer, but that's where a lot of time goes for solo practitioners and small firms. LawYawk can help you transform your existing Word documents into reusable templates with no coding required. Save time and avoid errors with intuitive features like conditional logic. Use a tool that empowers your experience and expertise. Learn more at LawYaw.com, and that's L-A-W-Y-A-W.com. Law Clerk is where attorneys go to hire freelance lawyers. Whether you need a research memo or a complicated appellate brief, our network of freelance lawyers have every level of experience and expertise. Sign up is free, and there are no monthly fees. Only pay the flat fee price you set. Use rebate code UNBILLABLE to get a $100 Amazon gift card when you complete your next project. Learn more at lawclerk.legal. And welcome back. We are talking with David Notowitz. We've been talking about his starting of his business, NCAVF, which is the National Center for Audio and Video Forensics. And we're talking about, uh, you know, basically walking through his story, which should sound familiar to a lot of our listeners who are solo attorneys or just hiring their first couple of folks, or even if you've come down the road, maybe sounding familiar, maybe sounding like some things you could do differently. So we told the story now. Now I want to look at it again from the beginning prospectively, like what David did to get ready for this growth and to pre-think it, to, to preconceive what it was going to look like. David, you prior to the show, you shared with me a document that you called on the NCAVF business plan. So if you don't mind, let's talk about that a little bit. Sure, sure. I I started it in like 2010, I think. So prior to that, in 2007, when I decided to move into the business, you know, three years of like fumbling around. In 2010, I realized from suggestions and reading, I need to develop a plan of some kind. So I broke up everything that I was doing into lists. And I broke those up into jobs, or at least positions, I call them. And right now, I was doing almost all of the positions in 2010, except for answering the phones. Before we go into the positions, because I I think it's really great the way you put those together. And I'll I'll tell everybody, first of all, that when David's talking about making a list, he came up with A through O. So I think that's 15. Uh, yeah, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, yeah, different different roles. And I want to talk to that. But the first thing I wanted to ask you about, you know, because people are like, I, I think when you say business plan, people just sort of, their eyes glaze over and they freak out because they don't know what 
to do or how to get started. And some people do make what I consider to be the huge mistake of going out and like buying a product like Business Plan Pro and following it, because then you're not planning, you're answering questions. Um, where did you come up with a structure of how to put this business plan together? How like it's uh, for for the listeners because they're not looking at it. You start with the roles, then you've got a whole section on your systems uh, that run the business. Then you've got a section on marketing and how that's going to go. And th- th- that's basically your plan. Is it's got the the people, the systems, and then the marketing. How did you come up with that structure? I actually went online and I did find a lot of other business plans. Mm-hmm. And I found suggestions, and I just looked and read all those different plans, and I read about them. From that, I said, "What do I need to do in my business? Like, what how, you know? I just need to write a list of the work I do, a list of the systems I have running the company, and the weaknesses, and a system for marketing. Because I love marketing, as I mentioned, I love the mm-hmm. writing, but I love the marketing in general. So that was important to me. I knew it was important for this business to do good marketing." Yeah, uh, absolutely. And those are, you know, I usually when I'm talking with clients as well, you know, usually what I recommend is the business plan has to cover three key areas, and you've got them. One of those key areas is acquisition. How are we going to get clients? Because without that section, the rest of it really doesn't matter. The mm-hmm. second area, which you also cover, is production. Once we get those clients and make all the promises that we're going to that we've made to them, how do we get the work done? which includes the people, um, which you've listed out here too, in the roles, et cetera. And then the third area of a good business plan, which I'm going to be a little, I'm going to have a little bit of criti- criticality to your business plan um, on this one, is financials and uh, describing what the business is going to do financially. But so you, you described this because you found some business plans out there. And the first thing you did was describe all the roles. And you said, like I, I described, there's 15 of them and you're wearing all the hats. How similar... Does your business look today to the roles that you listed at the beginning? Surprisingly, it's quite accurate in terms of, because I'd already done the business, I'd already done production and all other kinds right. of work. And then I went into the forensics for several years before I wrote the list. When I was doing it by myself from like 2007, 2010, I really was you know, fumbling around, but I was finding what we needed to do. And the interesting thing was a lot of jobs were just coming to me because of this high profile case, the employees, that, the employees, the attorneys that would hire me um, mm-hmm. and find the work for me. So I didn't need to do as much marketing. And that was just a good thing. It was just more organic growth. Do a good job. That's the marketing, yeah. right? You yeah. do, do a great job for someone, blow them away. And that's what we still try to do. That's good marketing. But it's not all the marketing that you, you talked about. But I do want to stick to the people real quick, and then we'll come to the marketing here in a second. One of the things I found fascinating about this is that you know, knowing your business, uh, as you did, and sitting down and thinking about it, even though you were personally wearing all the hats, doing all this work, you were able to delineate 15 roles. Um, and actually, you have H1 and H2, so it is 16, which is even better. Because when I work with law firms on an individual basis, what I usually tell them is what you figured out in your business plan is that they're, in a given law firm, there's typically about 16 roles in the law firm. And a lot of people go like, no, there's not. There's only three employees or there's only me. And just because they all look exactly like you doesn't mean that the roles don't exist or that they're all getting done well, but they exist. Um, and, and you figured those out. And as you said, it stayed pretty much the same over that time. 
which are you, you mentioned that answering the phones is one that is something that you gave up early. What are the what are some of the early wins that you had in in, in hiring for these roles? Another role that I hired was someone who could do video editing for me, who could do the initial work of grabbing material from the clients, either mm-hmm. it's audio or video evidence, and preparing it for me to use in the forensics side as more of an expert. So they would be the initial touching of the evidence, and then I would do the more complicated work. And over time, I could train those people to do the more advanced work. But at least I started them off doing the, the simpler stuff, and that allowed me to focus on the, the more difficult work. Yeah. So from a, for a law firm, that might have been like an associate or even a paralegal, someone to get sort of the the, the more... I think I think it's Seth Godin, but I'm not sure. But anyway, the, the most businesses that have, that are a service, 85 roughly percent of what they do is rote, is just ministerial stuff you do the same way for every client, and 15 percent of it is truly art. And the more you can get rid of that 85 percent, the more time you can focus on the 15 percent of the art. Um, and that sounds like what you're doing there is like hiring someone to get. It's it's not easy work. It's not like simple work, but the less arty work to, so that you could focus more on the art. Is that a fair description of how you did it? Yes. And because I live in Los Angeles and work here, yeah. there's a lot of people working in Hollywood that could use work on the side. And so, and because I worked in it as well, I know how to speak to those people. And so I could hire people from studios or, you know, freelancers and bring them into my office and really train them quickly and really get them up and running to help me out. The other area that I quickly learned I had to give up was bookkeeping and dealing with the money. And I was so wrong at first. I was trying to do it all myself, you know, everything, Mm -hmm. keeping keeping track of taxes and all this stuff that I'm terrible at, honestly. Finally, I hired a good bookkeeper and helped me tremendously, a big thing off my back. And with lawyers, I, I don't need to know what you charge an hour. But and here's just a business axiom that you may not, you possibly may not have heard it expressed this way. It's one that I write about. But in your business, the most value you can bring your business is the least amount you can pay someone else to do what you're doing right now competently. So, in other words, if you're doing your own bookkeeping in Los Angeles, you could probably hire a bookkeeper for 45, 50 bucks an hour, I'm, I'm guessing. A good bookkeeper, let's say 60. Um, I'm going to guess that you charge more than $60 an hour. And yeah, and I know the lawyers that are listening charge more than $60 an hour. Right. Well, I was going to say that it's really nice to work on law cases because almost never do I get my client, the lawyer, saying, you charge what an hour? Yeah. You know, lawyers, they don't say that to me, which is an awesome feeling. So yes, I can pay a bookkeeper so that I can have more time to spend hourly working on cases and making more money. Yeah. And, and, and again, like I said, some lawyers think they're, they're, they're a better bookkeeper and they might be right. But if you really, really break it down, when you're doing bookkeeping in your business with, for $60 an hour and you're capable of billing $300, $350, $400, $500 an hour, you are stealing from the business. You are telling the stakeholders of the business, which might be you, but are also your family, uh, you know, if you've got partners, your partners, but there, there are other stakeholders, your family, other people who count on you for your time, your clients who want you fresh for their cases. You're telling them that 
I'm going to take this time and do it for one fourth, get one fourth the productivity out of it. Yeah, but it's fun. So like, like with marketing, okay, I'm telling you, I agree with you, but marketing, I could pay someone else to write the articles for me. Yeah, no, no, we're, we're they, gonna get they, to marketing. They, I'm just saying that that job though, I enjoy doing. So just like if you really, really enjoy the bookkeeping, and that's fun for you, you don't necessarily need to give that up. If that's one thing, you know, you can pick one thing in the business and say, you know what, I'm not giving up because I really enjoy that. So for You're me, it's absolutely the, right. About for me, that. it's the marketing, and it's I might give it up one day, or I might give up. I give up part of it sometimes. I do. The social yeah. media example, I give to someone else, but sure. I know we're on that yet. But just saying, in terms of general jobs, I keep a few because I like doing them. And I think that's a really, really great point is the things you love to do. And we should really separate, I think, in, in growing the business and, and delegating. It's so easy to talk about delegating the things you hate doing, you know, delegating, cleaning the bathroom. Got that. <laughs> you know, delegating um, the paperwork. Got that. Delegating all the things that whatever you know, you may not like doing the bookkeeping, delegating that you may like doing it. That's the easy one. Then there's the stuff you like to do that you ought not be doing, which might or might not be bookkeeping. And then there's the stuff you love doing. And the more you give up of the things you don't like and the things you like but ought not to be doing, the more you can do the things you love. And I think that's a great point. And some people it might be the bookkeeping. I I had a law partner who just loved maintaining the building. He loved putting up the wallpaper, loved sure. pulling a fuse, whatever. It was just, and you know, I tried and tried and tried. It's like, dude, you do not need to be here on a Sunday painting. And he loved doing that. So I, I totally, I think that's a great point that you made. Tell you what we're going to do. We're going to take, we're going to take a break here. When we come back, I want to talk to you briefly about the systems, because I've got a little saying that we use that in a good business, the systems run the business, and then you hire people to run those systems. And I want to just talk about the systems that you knew you were going to have to have in place. And then I do want to spend some time on the marketing. But first, uh, we'll hear from our sponsors. Now more than ever, an effective marketing strategy is one of the most important things for your firm. Scorpion can help. With nearly 20 years of experience serving the legal industry, Scorpion has proven methods to help you get the high-value cases you deserve. Join thousands of attorneys across the country who have turned to Scorpion for effective marketing and technology solutions. For a better way to grow your practice, visit scorpionlegal.com. As the largest legal-only call center in the U.S., Alert Communications helps law firms and legal marketing agencies with new client intake. Alert captures and responds to all leads 24-7-365 as an extension of your firm in both English and Spanish. Alert uses proven intake methods, customizing responses as needed, which earns the trust of clients and improves client retention. To find out how Alert can help your law office, call 866-827-5568 or visit alertcommunications.com forward slash LTN. And I'm back with David Nodowitz. We've been talking about his experience getting his business off the ground, uh, NCAVF, the National Center for Audio and Video Forensics. And we've been talking about the business plan that he wrote um, all through the last uh, segment. And we were, we were talking about people and filling those roles. And I wanted to shift now, David, to talk a little bit about the systems. Because the second part of your business plan was you're, you're, you perceived a need for an integrated system to manage the company. Can you just talk a little bit about what you saw as a need there and, and, and how that fit into your overall plan? Yeah, well, I had all these different ways of 
keeping track of things. I had a database just with names and addresses and phone numbers. Then separately, I had all this evidence coming into the office at that time through FedEx and UPS and USPS. We had to track when it arrived. We had to track what we did with it, file it, and then keep track of it and do the work. And then I would forget about a case. I literally, oh my gosh, I got this evidence in. Did they pay? Huh, I can't remember. Did they pay for it? Did they give me a deposit? I can't remember. So many things connected. And I would, it was just hard for me to keep track of everything and to manage it. So from beginning to end, so that the client's happy, and so yeah. we get the work done well, and so that everything's on schedule and that we're on deadline and all this. And do we have a deadline? And what is the deadline? What does the client want from us? And after a while, when I got more and more cases, I would start to forget what was what. That was really frustrating. Yeah. And so, so you wanted this to be all in one place? If I could, yeah. I, want, I mean, the, <laughs> the ultimate goal was to track all this in one spot. You know, I know I needed someone to also oversee that. So I called that position the case manager. Mm -hmm. And I also had a different person, which I called the office manager. The office manager is the first person I hired, the one to answer phones. Yep. I ended up calling that person eventually an office manager as opposed to just a receptionist. Sure. And that office manager would take in evidence and help me manage it, help us send it out again in the mail. So a lot of things that nowadays actually is done electronically, which is awesome for me. I love keeping things technology-based as much as possible. So now I have a very powerful in-house, you know, internet connection, right. very fast. I have file connection, file server in-house that's backed up externally every night. And all the evidence gets sent to us electronically, or at least most of the evidence. Right. But we track all this with a piece of software so that when it comes in, we mark it down. We mark down the deadlines. We keep everything on a database that's much more robust. I use Clio to okay. do that. I was going to ask you if you mind say, if you built it or if you mind saying what you did. But you're, you're, that, that's going to speak loudly to a lot of lawyers listening. So you use, you use Clio. Yes, and I realized early on that I, I wanted to run the business like a law firm. Okay. Even though I'm not a law firm, I knew I wanted to charge like a law firm. I wanted to make money like a law firm, and I wanted to have retainers like a law firm. So we do all this stuff, and even the company name I named to appeal to government workers, a big acronym, a big long name that looks good to police or looks good to, it was on purpose. It wasn't yeah. an accident. And I thought about how to run it so that attorneys would feel comfortable. Yeah, which is a great segue to the marketing, because that's the name of the company is one of the first decisions you made for how you're going to market the company. And the, the one thing I said, we're going to get to that later is I wanted to speak to, because I think you, you, you just put your finger right on it is another thing that Seth Godin had said, which is when you're getting a business off the ground, when you're launching a business, when you're running a business, one of the last roles you actually want to give up if you ever do is director of marketing, because what you said earlier about no one's going to care about running the business like you do, well, let me tell you, nobody's going to care about marketing the business like you do, both from a getting enough business in the door to meet your financial goals, but also protecting the image, protecting the brand, communicating the brand, staying on brand. Nobody's going to do that like you. 
And the fact that you love it is makes it even better. Um, I think a lot of business owners do um, because a lot. one of the things that we get to do as a business owner is use our business to put our message out there into the world as to what we're trying to do to help people. But so tell, tell me a little bit about what your business plan said about marketing and what, what you've learned along the way. Well, I just, I, I love convincing people to hire us, but I love telling them the stories and successes that we had. And I wasn't good at talking, honestly. I know I use, I'm talking now with you. I was definitely very much an introvert. I started off as an editor early on. Mm-hmm. I'd be in a dark room by myself, shut off from the world for days on end, and I loved that. So interacting with other people was something that <laughs> I had to learn how to do well, and marketing is really requires that. Yeah. So as I got better with documentary films and advertising those and talking about that work, later on I could apply that to doing work as a forensic expert and talking about the work we did, teaching to bar associations, which we do a lot of. I do a lot of teaching now, and I really enjoy that, and I share my cases with attorneys. I teach at law firms at their lunchtime, and it's not just... It's not like a marketing thing, although that's what I'm doing it for. I'm doing it there to teach, but in effect, they're seeing, how am I going to look on the stand when I have to testify? So it's really nice. It's, it's, it works for them. I teach them about audio and video forensics. It's great marketing for me because they get to see me in action and see the work that we can do for them. Yeah. So, and, and I noticed like one of the things uh, that you, you'd said that was that your primary method of marketing was going to not be like basically reaching out and bashing people over the head with you need to hire us you you're working with with referrals and you're working through this this sort of networking tell me about like how you were conceiving about how to bring people into your infrastructure into your into knowing about and wanting to hire your business yeah so i at first didn't really know how to market this business Mm -hmm. because how do i reach attorneys they have all kinds of ways of protecting themselves from, you know, they have gatekeepers. Yeah. You know, they're paralegals or they're the office person who answers the phone, just like people protect me from marketing. Right. You know, I can't reach them. So I tried doing all kinds of cold calling. <laughs> Look, do you need audio and video forensics work? Like, it doesn't work. They have to need it first, usually. Usually they need to have the need for this service, then they find us. Mm-hmm. So the way to do that is have the classes available. So if they need to learn, they can learn from us. And they look it up. Look it up on Google. Look it up on Bing, whatever. But that was over time I realized that. It took time to realize that the cold calling does not work for us. The social media marketing, that stuff, that works pretty well. Mm-hmm. So does teaching at conferences, at law firms, at association meetings. The other thing that works really well is just Google ads. We advertise on Google ads. So when does someone does a search or the attorney's assistant does a search for our kinds of services, they'll find us. Yeah. And what, what impressed me also with this is that you didn't just say like, okay, I, I'm going to go out there and do some marketing and I don't like to do this, but I do want to do this. Like your marketing plan has 22 items of, and you called it um, <laughs> the marketing manager systematized. Could you just talk about, like, do you, do you still do all 22 of these things? I, I can say that we're weak in some and stronger in others, okay. for sure. 
but I, I'm always keeping an eye out on the newer thing. For example, TikTok right now is really big, you know? Mm-hmm. That wasn't big a year ago or two years ago. So we have to keep our eyes out and sure. be flexible yeah. to add those things to our mix if we, if we think it's necessary. But honestly, TikTok, I don't think will be a source of getting new attorneys to come to us. But who knows? Maybe in the long run it would. But I'm keeping an eye on it. But yeah, there's so many steps in marketing. And uh, we try to do as many as possible. But, you know, for example, it used to be that ups- updating your website all the time was really important because the new pages, the new dates that were on the pages, that would really improve your SEO. Right. It's become less important, but right. still there. So we still update our website with blog updates and updating the pages, but it's not as systematized. But there's a lot of things that we ha- you have to, with all your business, like, okay, I mean, submit to all the website search engines. Well, there's not that many anymore, really, that yeah. do anything. Yeah. I mean, I had... But for lawyers, there's a lot of directories still. So that's a, that's a big one, yeah. Yeah, there are. And I, I don't know about for lawyers, but like Super Pages was huge. Yellow right. Book. There was Yahoo Local. There was Yelp. And honestly, there's still Yelp, but it does nothing for my business. So all these things adjust and you have to like be flexible and realize... And only the owner can really do that because if you assign this to someone, you know what? They're just going to keep doing it until they like you fire them, I guess. But if they're good, they'll tell you, but it won't be as obvious to them that they need to think outside the box. Sure. Yeah. And I got to ask you because it is your business. Like, Do you use your talent in video to, uh, to enhance your marketing? Yes, we do. In fact, one thing I really like to do, and it's been very effective, and this is a new thing I do. Every time I have a a job or a a teaching engagement to teach at a bar association or a firm. Prior to that speaking engagement, I create a customized video for that organization or that firm Mm -hmm. to say, I'm coming soon to you. I look forward to it. This is what I need you to do. I need you to write up a few questions and give it to, and then I name the person that's in their company that invited me. They say, I really look forward to seeing you there. I look forward to teaching you, but give me a couple of questions. I need you to do this ahead of time. And it's a great, it's a video. It's maybe a minute long. Sure. And guess what? They send it out, my contact sends it out to everyone. And it's a great business, you know, it, it, it's a great lead because it makes me even more in their mind. It's brilliant. And you know, a lot of lawyers speak to different organizations too. That's just, I think that's a great takeaway. They should do that. They should do that. Yeah. They should create a video, a simple one minute Hello, I'm excited to, to reach out to you and to meet you. I look forward to seeing you on Zoom or in person. It works out really well. So as we run to the end of the show here, I did want to ask you one question about your business. Where you are today, we're now you know, 10 years since you wrote the business plan, roughly 13, 12, 13 years since you really started seeing this as a business. Six employees now, what part of running your business today do you like the best? Oh, the best. Yeah, I think I'm, it's some... I'm going for the other one next. So Okay, okay. Well, the best is the marketing still. I really okay. enjoy, I enjoy, you know what I enjoy? I enjoy meeting clients and teaching them something in the middle of a case and they go, oh my gosh, wow, I didn't even think of that. And it helps their client, it helps them. I love that awe moment that happens quite often in our business. Yeah. And then of course, briefly, what are you still doing that you like the least? 
The thing that I'd like the least, and I'm still doing it, and I'm not sure how to get around it, is all the business side of the financials. As you mentioned yourself, that's like the weak part of my business plan, and I need to figure out that better. Even though I've improved it astronomically in the last two years, using Clio and using other services like QuickBooks, I still need to get my arms around it better. Yeah, and you know, working with working with a good CFO or a fractional CFO can be a way to do that. And the one thing I'll say, because I know we're running out of time, it's uh, something I'd love to talk more about with you, and of course with any listeners that would want to know about this as well, which is you got to me with a business plan. As a business owner, we have to answer the question first and foremost of why. Why am I doing this? What do I expect this to give back to me? And that could be money. It could be time. It could be professional satisfaction. Usually it's a combination of all three. And then the, the money and the metrics and figuring out those reports all flow from your decision first about what it's supposed to be. And then, because then you're tracking towards what you've defined as your true north. Otherwise, financial reports are just financial reports and they just tell you you're winning or losing, but they, not, they don't tell you if you're getting anywhere. I use my gut a lot. I use my gut yeah. a lot. Honestly, yeah. I, I look at all the possibilities and I say, is this financially, is this going to work? You know, And I just go for it. Yep. Listen, we are, unfortunately, I would love to go another half hour with you, but we are out of time. Maybe we'll bring you back. But uh, if listeners want to contact you, what's the best way to reach David Notowitz? I would say go to our website or give us a call, ncavf.com, ncavf.com, or call us 213-973-7811. And you can talk to me. I'm happy to talk to you. I have questions. Excellent. Just say that phone number one more time, David. 213-973-7811. Fantastic. That wraps up this edition of the Unbillable Hour. And I thank all of you for listening. Our guest today, of course, has been David Notowitz. He's the founder of NCAVF, the National Center for Audio and Video Forensics. And he's just given you ways to contact him. And of course, I am Christopher Anderson. And if you have any questions about stuff we've done on the show, you could always reach out to me here at the Unbillable Hour. And I look forward to seeing you next month with another great guest as we learn more about topics that help us build the law firm business that works for you. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. Thanks for joining us, and we'll speak again soon. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. Join us again for the next edition, right here with Legal Talk Network. Learn by doing with Practicing Law Institute's award-winning on-demand interactive programs. Developed by experts in learning design, these immersive programs incorporate the latest in research-based instructional design and technology, allowing you to try out concepts, challenge yourself, and grow your skills using real-world scenarios. With programs focusing on professional development, client-facing skills, and law practice management, you can earn CLE while you learn. Launch now at pli.edu slash interactive or download PLI's mobile app.